This morning we're going to continue our study of the book of 1 Corinthians. If you've missed any of it, you can go to our website and we have everything set up. Uh, we are in chapter 10 this week and, and just continuing to look at what did Paul have to say to the Corinth church and uh, how is it applicable to us today? What does the Holy Spirit want us to know? And as we just sang, glorifying God's name, really the focus of Corinthians and then chapter 10 is how do we glorify God's name? How do we live out that principle? How do we actually apply the teachings of God's word to our life? And so that's what we're going to look at today as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, we're not going to be able to go through every single verse this morning, but if you do the sermon-based study, you can go through every single verse and ask the Lord what he's saying to you. And it can take uh, a wonderful journey of learning and growing by each day of spending some time in God's Word and growing uh, through His Spirit. And so I'd encourage you to consider doing that either in a group or on your own. Today, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and uh, the, the, the challenge of what do I do? What do we do? What does anybody do, right? This past week, we had a debate on television. How many of you watched the debate on television? All right. How many of you intentionally did not watch the debate on television? All right, good. And now I know where we're at. Um, but you know, the reality is, is that we as a country are looking for a strong leader to lead us in the right direction. Uh, we as a community, as uh, those in law enforcement, firemen and firewomen and the, the mayor and the teachers, we all want them to be strong, healthy leaders. We want them to be people of character and integrity. Uh, we want our leaders who lead our children to lead them in the right direction. Uh, we want the leaders who lead our military to lead them in the right direction. Uh, we want the leader of our country who deals with making laws and, and determining uh, boundaries to know what is right and wrong and to lead from a place of righteousness. Um, but I think we live in a very difficult time, just like Paul and the Corinth church, that was a difficult place and a difficult time because not everyone, and actually many, did not receive the truth that God was the one true God and his word was uh, applicable and real and, and, and relevant, relevant to them as it is to us today. And so the comparative that I thought, we kind of fill that void. If we don't fill it with God, what do we fill it with? Uh, how do you make decisions? How do you know what to do each day? How do you know what to do in your life? How do you know what uh, is the right choice and what is the wrong choice? How do you know that you're going the right direction? How do we as a church know that we're going in the right direction? How can we be certain that we are on the right path? And that's what we're going to look at. I think 1 Corinthians chapter 10 has a lot to say about how we can do that well. But there is obviously... Um, the, the comparative of the opposite, right? Today we see in our world that people are going in a different direction. If you watch television at all yesterday, are you aware of the last couple months of television? Uh, there's some big sporting events that have gone on. Uh, I looked it up. The Women's World Cup, which ended last Sunday, had 21 people watching on television. 21 million people. Yesterday, the Coke Zero Sugar 400 had 6 million people watching the race. And the traffic was pretty bad around here, too, because people came to sit and watch the race at the track. Uh, as we look at, some of you watched the Navy-Notre Dame game yesterday, and there were 50,000. Now, that doesn't seem like a whole lot, but most of them had traveled from the United States to Dublin, Ireland, to watch this game. That is a commitment. 40,000 Americans going to Dublin to watch a football game is a huge commitment, why are people willing to organize their life around these sporting events? Why do people make these things so valuable and important in their lives? Many of us in this room, I'm sure you have people in your life that are fanatics about sports. 
Uh, sports is almost a religion now. It's, in some places, you go to Texas, it's bigger than most uh, churches and how they organize and function. And so uh, we live in a time where we see a picture of possibly how the Lord wants us to be in the world and how they saturate their lives. And as I was looking at this, I've been reading about this, trying to understand why are so many people, we're not talking hundreds or thousands, but millions of people attracted to sports and to these events. And uh, as they've studied it, and studied just how people work, one of the things is you can always talk about the future in sports because there are big games, there are Super Bowls and World Series and end-of-the-season celebrations. And so the people that are always looking to the future, maybe that's you, maybe you're always thinking five years down the line, ten years down the line, you're a visionary type person. Sports fills that need because you can constantly be looking to the future. Maybe you're a nurturer and you, you think that life needs to have value in every area and taking care of people. And you see sports as a place where you can come together and people have a purpose and they have a cause and they can get excited and they can get connected and they can have uh, relationships and be valued. Uh, they've studied this and they've seen there's people that are called guardians that they want to talk about the past. Maybe you know someone who says modern sports are nothing like they were when I was young, right? The good old days when they really played sports and they did it the right way, right? And there are personalities that are that way. They, they look back and say how wonderful it was and how horrible it is today, but they still watch it and they still enjoy it today because they like to compare it to the past, right? And they want to hold on to, we shouldn't change that rule or we, we shouldn't do it that way or I don't like how they're doing this, but it still creates an interest and it creates a community. There are creative people who like to dress up. Do you know anyone who likes to dress up to go to events? They paint their faces. Uh, grown men wearing other men's uniforms, <laughs> right? That's a weird thing, isn't it? That's a little strange to wear another person's uniform, but they, in the millions, do this, right? There's a worship, there's a cult-like <laughs> uh, feel to all of these things. And then there are connectors. All of us want to belong somewhere, right? All of us want to be a part of something. And sports offers that place to connect and build. I, I can be totally different than you, but if you have the same sticker of the same team on your car, we're automatically friends, right? Even though we come from different worlds, different perspectives, we may even speak different languages. But if we have the same shirt on, we're best friends all of a sudden. Now, let me ask you this question. Is this by chance or did God do this on purpose? Did he make us this way on purpose? that we would desire to be able to look to the future, that we would desire to nurture each other and build each other up, that we would desire to be part of a group that valued the past and the history, that we would desire to see creative ways of doing new things, that we would desire to connect in a community and be part of something that's bigger than us, right? The collective is greater than the individual when it comes to these things. And I believe as we look to the world, God has allowed things to become the way they are to tell the church, this is what I desire of you. I want this level of commitment from you. I want this kind of love for me that these people have for sports and for events. And I think the challenge we have is we have a world that is being led. Now, if we go to the next slide, if I commit my life to sports or a team or something, where is that leading me? Nowhere. No one even remembers who won anything five years ago. As big of an event as we make these things, they don't last. Nobody remembers. I remember I read a study uh, a week ago, and it just talked about within two generations, everything is forgotten, 
right? You don't, how many Roman soldiers do you know the names of? How many Greek soldiers? How many great events? Uh, so few of things that have happened in history that people thought would never be forgotten have been forgotten. How many baseball, basketball, football, concerts of these things that people think that are so important and will live on don't live on? They just fade away into nothing. And so we have a whole group of people that we live with that are going nowhere. They're being led by nothing. They're being led by a false sense of purpose, a false sense of truth. And so the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes, there's a word called hevel. Hevel means nothingness. It's chasing after the wind. It's trying to grasp smoke. Hevel is a Hebrew word that kind of summarizes what it is if you commit your whole life to a sport or an event or something of that nature. It's as though you're chasing after the wind. You're chasing after smoke. And smoke is leading you. And where does it lead you? It leads you nowhere. Actually, it leads you somewhere. It's just the worst place possible, right? Where there's smoke, there's fire, right? And where there's fire, we know that there's punishment and there's an end. And so this morning, we have, a, we have a great responsibility first to look at ourselves and say, what motivates me? What is leading me? And then look at our church. How can we be cooperative and working together and moving in the right direction? And then how can we lovingly impact a world that is being led by the wrong things? How do we have a voice? How do we speak into people's lives that don't value God's word yet? They haven't come to Christ as their Lord and Savior. They are not filled with the Holy Spirit. They do not have uh, the things of God as the most important things in their life. And so that's what we're going to look at as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. What does God want us to know about being Holy Spirit-led? Are you Holy Spirit-led today? Is He leading your heart and your life, your family, your finances, all the different parts of our life? So before we go to His Word, let's precede it in prayer and ask Him to speak to us as we read. Father God, you are awesome. You're worthy. Uh, we know that you created us with a purpose, on purpose, and that we have value in each and every day, each and every breath. Even every action can be a glorifying act for you. And so, Lord, as we look at your word and we think about Paul writing to the Corinth church and just the struggles and challenges they had, and yet in the midst of that, in the midst of the challenges, you brought light and truth that, that transformed um, so many. Even today, we're part of this this link in a chain that leads to us today as the, the word of God has, has not returned void and, and is eternal and, and trustworthy and, and we can focus on it right now. Lord, we pray that as we look at it, it would inspire us, it would challenge us, it would grow us. Lord, if there's someone here that needs to make a big decision or they're, they're trying to get confident in the direction their life is going and, and they don't want to live in fear or, or they don't want to live in doubt, they want to live in, in security knowing that you're leading and guiding, Lord, I pray today that we would come to that security. We would come to that, that fulfillment of your Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us so that we have peace in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word, uh, Lord, that as we study together that we would grow and mature in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Contextually, Contextually, the first century Corinth church was in a place uh, that was very difficult to be holy and righteous. It was much like Las Vegas or Miami. Uh, there, there was a lot of sin, and it was really easy to sin. And actually, Corinth was so, it had two ports, and so it was a port city, had so much wealth that most people couldn't afford to go to Corinth because it was so expensive to go there. And when you were there, basically any indulgence that you could imagine was available to you. Corinth was uh, a godless place. It had lots of gods, but none of them were real. 
It didn't have the one true God until uh, these group of people established the church. But even within the church, the church struggled to separate itself from its culture. It struggled to be uh, different, to, to lose that identity that it once had and become totally identified in Christ and the new life that he gives. And so as we read this, we can understand that this is the struggle we live in today. It's very difficult for people um, to leave the culture of the United States and say, I, I, I'm, not, I'm a kingdom person. My, my identity is in Christ. My values are Christ-centered. My views are Bible-based. Everything in my life revolves about my relationship with the Lord. I'm a fanatic for Jesus. I'm a fan of the kingdom. That's where my heart and allegiance lies. And so this is the challenge they had. This is the challenge we have. And he reveals it as we look at verses 7 through 10 of 1 Corinthians. It says, don't become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. Let's not commit to sexual immorality as some of them did. And in a single day, 23,000 people died. Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. And don't grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. And so we have this account, this situation where the Hebrews, were, they were saved from Egypt. And this is all symbolism of what it is to become a believer, that we are lost in our sin. We are a slave to sin. And Egypt uh, had a Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is the representation of Satan, and that we are under that bondage. And yet, though uh, through the, the shed blood of the lamb and the covering of the lentil of our heart, of our lives, that we are then set free, and that we have freedom, and we go through the baptism of the Red Sea, and we we come out on the other side as, as new, yet even in that newness, they struggled. Because as time passed, they lost their fervor for God. They lost their commitment to the things of God. And they fell into more idolatry, into sexual immorality. And so we see that he, he's saying, look, even, even the Hebrews were, were messing up in the same kind of context. And so I think what, what Paul, if you could summarize it, it's, it, you know, this is one thing that one of our deacons always tells me, George Crone. He says, it's better to learn from a person that is bit by a snake than to be bit yourself, right? That's really what teaching and discipleship should be, is training and equipping people to avoid uh, sin and to seek after righteousness, right? Like the goal is to help people before they fall into the traps and deceptions of sin so that not everyone has to come out of the muck and the mire. Not everyone has to experience the consequences of sin. Not everyone has to be separated far from the father because of their sin. Not everyone has to be the prodigal son. There, be, there should be some that have gone before, maybe experienced some of those things and come back and said, look, Here's, here's what you may be thinking. You may think that it's desirable. You may think that it's going to fulfill. You may think that it's the right path. But I've gone down that path, and let me tell you what's at the end of it. Despair. Destruction. Uh, relationships broken. Trust broken. Hope broken. Uh, a separation from God that brings on a loneliness and brings on a sadness and brings on a hopelessness. And so here we see that he, don't be like them. Learn from them, right? Don't fall into the same traps that they fell into. You don't have to be bit by the snake. Learn from the person that was. 
And I think that's the lesson today. None of the things that he shares with us are brand new, eye-opening truths. These are truths we need to be reminded about over and over and over again, because I think we would all agree, uh, life can become very uh, full, and then in that fullness, it pulls us away from the truth. We get so busy paying bills. We get so busy doing the, the tasks of every day. We get so busy dealing with uh, the tyranny of the urgent, the, the fire in front of me, that uh, if we do that for a week, we do that for a month, all of a sudden we haven't prayed. We haven't sought the Lord. We haven't been in counsel. We haven't had relationships with other believers. Uh, we don't sense the Holy Spirit in our life. We're not seeking the Holy Spirit's presence in our life. We're not seeking God's word for guidance and understanding because it's very easy in this life to drift from the Lord. It's very easy to be, and, and it's not necessarily these horrible things right away. Those tend to be at the end of the path. The beginning of the path is, well, I'll just sleep a little longer, or I'll put this as a priority, or I won't, you know, today I've got to do this, so I can't worry about prayer. I can't worry about God's word. I can't go to that service. I can't be there. It's raining out. It's too hot. The sun is in my eyes. Whatever the excuse is, we come up with it, and we miss the opportunity God has for us. And if we miss those enough, just like all things, we will drift away. And all of a sudden, we don't have the heart we had. And so we need to gather like this, and we need to be committed, and we need to commit to each other and, and commit to the Lord that, hey, every day is a day that you've made for me to seek you and to know you and for you to know me and for me to submit to your will. And we don't want to fall into the traps that we've seen so many that came before fell into. And so we're given a pretty clear answer as we go back to the beginning, because I think it's interesting how he begins this part of his letter. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1-4, through 4, he says this. He says, now I do not want you to be unaware. It's really important that he puts that, right? Because he doesn't want us to miss it. Anytime he says, I don't want you to be unaware, you know why he says that? Because they're unaware. <laughs> I don't want you to be this anyway. Don't, don't, stop being unaware of this. Brothers and sisters, that your ancestors were all under the what? The cloud. All passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate of the same spiritual food and all drank of the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that flowed. And that rock was Christ. And so as we study, as you see this picture, really interesting picture, if you study the Old Testament, you know that there was this time after they had escaped Egypt that now they had to make a decision where they're going to go into the promised land. Uh, they took a vote. Sometimes voting isn't the best idea uh, because 10 of them said uh, they're giants. This is not going to be where we're going to get slaughtered. Let's not try it. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, what are you talking about? God is for us who can be against us. What are we afraid of? Why are we afraid of mere man? God is the creator of man. Why are we fearful in any way? And yet the people took the vote and they took the predominant view and 10 said no. And so they decided not to go. And so guess what? Have you ever wandered in your life? Do you look back at your life? and Man, I was wandering. You know what happens when you're wandering? You don't realize you're wandering. If you look at a map, and I don't have a picture, but if you look at a map of Israel, we're not talking, we're talking maybe a week's journey it took them 40 years. A week long, talk about really not figuring out where you are or where you're going. After 40 years of not being able to go a week's long journey, there's something wrong. There was something definitely wrong. Now at first you have this manna and we're told it was like a wafer that was, had a honey flavor, probably like a Krispy Kreme donut. 
right? And they were eating these Krispy Kremes every day, and, and it was called manna, and I'm sure they made it all kinds of different ways, and one way was uh, manicotti, right? <laughs> all right, that's all my jokes for today. But, and so they were eating this stuff, but they were starting to complain. They would say, well, we had better food when we were slaves, can you imagine saying that to God? We were better off as slaves. At least we had the regular food and diet, and at least we had all these other things. They started to complain because it wasn't, it wasn't what they wanted at that time. And so they fall into these traps. But yet we're here, it's saying when you're, in, when you're following the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, this cloud, uh, he, he comes as a guidance, as, as a protector, and he's in the front and in the back, and he's leading exactly where he wants you to go. And as you live out that life, there's a peace because you rest, you rest in the cloud. The cloud gives, gives you peace. But they didn't trust that peace. It's interesting, if you study the story in the Old Testament, uh, God tells Moses to strike a rock. Which I, you know, this is God. Moses has real faith, the faith I really want, and hopefully the faith you really want. He had faith because if God said, Mike, hit this rock and water is going to come out, I'm going to say, I must be hearing something wrong here. How does a rock produce water? Right? And yet Moses believed and he hit the rock and water came out. Now, Moses had gotten his mind, maybe this is how it works, because later God says, speak to the rock. Tell the rock to give forth living water for them to drink so that they'll know I'm the one true God, that I've come to save them. And what does Moses do? You read the story, read the account. He comes and says, you wicked, uh, rebellious people. God's really mad with you. And he hits the rock twice with his staff. Did God tell him to hit the rock? No, he said, speak to the rock. Moses didn't know that Christ would come and be the rock, and that he would meet the woman at the well and say, I have living water, that if you drink of it, you will never be thirsty again. And that on the cross, at the moment of his death, the spear was stabbed into his side, and not, not blood came out, but what came out? Water. And it was once for all. He didn't need to stab him two more times. There didn't need to be two more crosses. There didn't need to be two more acts of redemption. There only needed to be one act of redemption. And God wanted his Hebrew children to know once was enough. And when Moses came back and hit it twice, there was an extreme consequence for Moses. Do you know what that consequence was? He was unable to go to the promised land. He was unable to go to the promised land because he did something he wasn't told to do. And so I think as believers, sometimes we look and say, well, the world's so full of sin and sexual immorality and all these things. But you know what God really is focused on? His children. And are we listening clearly and being obedient in every way? Are we looking at his words and saying, well, well, I have a better way than God and I'm going to try this other way because I know a little bit more or, or maybe God can't be happy with these people so, so I'll hit the rock twice. Hitting the rock makes no sense if you're only thinking in a physical way. It only makes sense when you're living in the spiritual that God could provide. Now here, Paul tells us that that rock is Jesus. Jesus is the rock in which we build our lives. He is the rock that doesn't change. He is the cornerstone that we build our church and our lives on. And through that rock, the living water comes into our life. And if we are willing to follow the Spirit 
as the cloud, living in the cloud, trusting him as our leader and our guider and our sustainer, then we are living what God intended us to live. It's when we stop listening and we start trying to make our own path. And where does the next path lead? Hevel. It's the only other place between the cloud of the Lord and the Holy Spirit of God is then to seek after the smoke of hell and try to grasp it and try to fulfill your life. And so many people that have lived and live today have avoided the true water and the rock and they've gone after the smoke and it's led them nowhere. And so it's, it is, don't, don't miss, don't be unaware, don't miss this. First, you don't miss this. Then don't let your family miss this. Then don't let your loved ones and your neighbors and your community, and let's be a vo voice for the Lord uh, as the Gideons go out. Let us go out and declare to the wor world that there is a way that leads to life. There is a way that is true, but it is only one. You cannot go after these other places, these other, this other smoke that is deceptive. And so they all ate together the same spiritual food. I pray that we eat together this spiritual food today. That they drank from the Spirit. That to them, the Spirit life was the most important aspect in life. Is your spiritual walk more important than your physical life? What, in your estimate, do you put as top priority? The things of God, the Spirit, or the things of this world, the flesh? Because that will determine whether you're chasing heaven, chasing smoke, or following the cloud of the living God. He goes on to say in verse 11, these things have happened to them as an example. He wants us to know, and then God gave us an example. And they were written for our instruction on whom the ends of the age have come. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except that which is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. This is a powerful truth that we would not have known except for the Holy Spirit revealing it to Paul to tell us today. Many people I've met who do not study God's word think that there are sins that they cannot overcome. They think there are temptations they cannot avoid. They think this is just who I am, right? I'm Greek. This is how Greeks act, right? Whatever it is, we come up with it. This is, my parents did this. I was raised this way. My teacher did this. I was trained this way. It is sin I cannot avoid. It is sin I cannot get rid of. It is sin that I do not have any way out of. And here, the Holy Spirit says, no, there is. There's always a way. God is faithful. He is always faithful to give you a way out. He is always faithful to give you directions that lead you in the way of life. God is faithful. But like any relationship, it takes two. He may be faithful, but am I obedient? He may be faithful, but am I listening? He may be faithful... But am I willing to sacrifice this temptation at the altar of God? Right? Because sin, like Cain was told, is just lurking in our lives. 
And it's one, it's waiting for that moment when you're tired, you're hungry, you're stressed, you're angry, something just went wrong. Uh, you open your, your mailbox and where do these bills come from, right? Sin is always waiting for us, for our weakest moments to attack. In those moments, do we submit? James talks about it's almost like a birth process. There's this opportunity that arises. And if you give it its fullness, it'll birth into sin, and sin becomes death. And so the challenge we have is we want to be guided. I want to make the right decision in my career. I want to make the right decision as a father. I want to make the right decision uh, as a husband. I want to make the right decision as a citizen of the United States of America. If my desire is to make the right decisions, I first have to recognize my sinful nature and must not submit to it and recognize God always has a way for me to go the right way. God always has a way for you to go the right way. But you have to stop and say, what is the way you have for me? How would you have me deal with this, Lord? How would you have me think about this? How would you have me react to this? What is your will? And I think one of the most powerful things that maybe you've never heard that I think is such a powerful truth is that the Holy Spirit will give you a peace about His will. And if you're worried about it, have other believers that you've seen the fruit of His testimony, you've seen the fruit of His work in their life, and you say, pray about this, tell me if you have a peace about it. And do you know the Holy Spirit answers those types of prayers? And He doesn't always give you a peace. Sometimes He says, don't do that. It's not wise. It's not what I want you to do. And so you don't go in with a preconceived notion of what the Holy Spirit's going to tell you. You literally go into it saying, whatever your will is, I want to know it. And I don't want to get on my own path going down my own will. I need your help. And so when we make decisions, because life is, we really have no control over so many things. You're not telling your heart to beat right now. You're not telling your internal organs what to do. You're not telling gravity to hold you to the ground. You're not telling the earth to spin. Do you know how many things you're not doing that are keeping you alive right now? But you know what you are doing? Am I going to listen to God or not? Am I going to obey or not? Am I going to follow his will or not? Am I going to go my own way? Am I going to do my own thing? Or am I going to listen to him? This is what you've been given authority in your life. This is what God has said, you now make the decision. Who is it that you serve? Who is it that's your Lord? Who is it that determines what you will do and say and be? And so we see that this is so essential. God has a promise. He has promised an escape route. And so we must go to him first. And then he says this beautiful thing at the very end of his, his letter. He says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do. Have you ever thought about when you're having your meal, you're, you can glorify God by eating and drinking? Right? You can also glorify the flesh. Whether you eat or drink, do it for the glory of God. I recently heard a sermon, and it really changed my perspective on some things. Uh, the pastor talked about how we don't know much about Jesus' 30 years, right? We don't know much about when Jesus was a child outside of uh, the unique circumstances of being virgin-born and, and fleeing to Egypt and then returning to Nazareth. We don't know much about those 30 years. But we do know this. We know when he ate and he drank, he glorified God. We know when his parents talked to him, every action was in the glory of God. 
We know that every decision that he made, the mundane, think about it, Jesus' time in those 33 years before he ascended to heaven, three of those years were miraculous, and the world couldn't ignore him. Three of those years changed everything. Now we're in 2023 because 2023 years ago, Jesus changed everything. Three of those years were immense and powerful, and we study them, and we, and we look to, to implement them in our own lives. 30 of his years of his life we don't know about. 30 years. And I believe that was intended by the Holy Spirit to say, your life is not only about the big events, it's about the small things too. It's about breakfast and lunch and dinner. It's about your conversation. It's about your actions and your attitudes. It's every aspect of who you are. Every breath that you give is either for the glory of God or for your own glory. And when you begin to live life recognizing that every part of life, if I'm to walk with the Lord, if I'm to follow his, the cloud of the Holy Spirit that leads and guides, is to recognize that every aspect of my life is for his glory. There's nothing too small that he can't receive glory from, and there's nothing too great that he's not worthy of receiving the glory of. But we have the choice of directing where that glory goes. Does that glory go to me, or does that glory go to him? Am I seeking after my own glory? Am I seeking after my own praise? Am I seeking after my own will to be done? Or do I, in all things, whether I'm eating or drinking, give glory to God? One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Matthew 5, 16. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Meaning that every good thing that people say, wow, why did you do that? That's such a wonderful thing you did. I only could do that because of the goodness of God in me for his glory for his edification, for his praise. Don't look at me, I'm nothing. I'm a vessel that could be filled with sin, but only by the grace of the Lord am I filled with the Holy Spirit that you are seeing him in me, not me. The true me was lost and is dead now. My, now I have become what I was intended to be, the servant of the Most High, the child that has eternity in front of me, uh, a child of the King, We'll be judging uh, angels. There's so much ahead of us we can't even imagine. But it's not for my glory. It's not for my esteem. It's for his. I must, what, decrease so he may increase. If people uh, just remember me as a person, as a, as a character, they've missed what my purpose is. Don't remember Mike, remember Jesus. Don't remember you, remember Jesus. Don't remember uh, how smart or intelligent or all these things that don't really matter. The thing that matters is, did I see Jesus? Did I recognize the Holy Spirit of God? Did I understand it was for his glory that all these things were done? Do we recognize that all good is for God and all good is from God and that we can't own it? You don't want to own it anyways. You couldn't handle it. <laughs> I couldn't handle it. It's as if you get close to the sun. What would happen if you got close to the sun? You would evaporate. Do you know how much more wondrous God's glory is compared to our little sun? And so today, we have to make some decisions. Jesus lived an ordinary life for 30 years where he glorified God in all that he did. However old we are, every day can be committed to the glory of God.
And maybe we made mistakes and maybe the past is full of sin. That's okay because he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So today is a new day to glorify him. Today is a new day to follow him. Today is a new day to submit. See, the challenge isn't, what should I do? The challenge is, who will I follow? Who will I follow? Who will you follow? Who will we follow as a church? Will we follow the newest fad, the newest idea, the newest thing, or will we follow the Holy Spirit of God? Will we pray and seek him through his word that he would give us the insight we need? See, the amazing thing that Scripture, that Paul reveals, the Holy Spirit gives us, is you can be sure you're going the right way when the Holy Spirit is leading. I, talked to, I would say this is true about me, but I think we all dealt with having a hard choice to make. If you ever had a hard choice, you had to pick something that's going to impact the rest of your life. i got to make a hard choice. i got to make a big decision. And there's a lot of stress and anxiety and, and difficulty. But you know if you're led by the Holy Spirit, you put it all in His hands, it gives a peace that passes all understanding. It gives you an assurance that he's the one that's going to lead me and guide me. I don't have to come up with the solution to the problem. He already has. But it's not easy. This is one of those things really easy for me to say to you. Much more difficult to do. And so we have to commit. It's these moments we say, yes, when that comes, that's what I'm going to do. In that situation, that is what I'm going to do. That's who I'm going to be. I'm going to be intentional in making that decision. And so as we've studied and looked at this, and there's so much more here, there's such an amazing amount of information because the Old Testament is a mystery concealed. The New Testament is a mystery revealed. There's so much we learn about the Old Testament here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I would encourage you to look at that and learn and grow in that. But here, as we look at what we've seen today as, God revealed, as God's revealed word, are you Holy Spirit led? Who leads your life? Something is leading you every day. What is that something? Is it the Holy Spirit of God? Is it the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life? Is, is it being fulfilled in something other than God? Are you in your life Holy Spirit led? Are you thankful for the provisions God has given you? Are you thankful the fact that he has provided for you, even though there's been challenges, even though there's been struggles, he has been faithful in providing for your life? Do you desire to glorify God with your life? Do you have a want to? Do you want your life to, to glorify God? Do you want people to see Christ in you? Do you want the Holy Spirit to emanate from you? Do you want people to say, why are you different? And you say, because of Jesus Christ. It's not me. The difference you see is him. It's what he does with a committed life. It's what he can do in your life. How will you glorify God with your life? How will you? What plan do you have? How will you live in communion with God from morning to night, day to day, month to month, year to year? How will you do this? Will you submit? Will you give authority of every area of your life to the Lord? So how can we apply this first? I think so important. Give thanks to God. We can spend so much time seeing how miserable things are and how horrible things are. And he ne the Bible never says focus on the miserable. Jesus doesn't say make sure every day you look at how bad everything is and remind yourself how bad everything is. There's no verse that says always think about how bad everything is. If anything, Jesus says don't worry about tomorrow to worry about itself. Every day has its struggles. But give God glory. 
Praise his holy name. You know, most of the early Christians were burned at the stake. They were fed the lions. You know what they were doing when that was happening? They were singing praise songs to Jesus. Your day isn't worse than that. <laughs> My day is not worse than what they had to go through the first century and the first four to eight hundred years of the church was much more difficult than what we have today. And yet they were known for praising the Lord in the midst of it. And in China today where it's illegal, they're known for praising the Lord as they're getting arrested. And in India where you can have major persecution in your life, they're known for praising the Lord. And unfortunately, where we have it the easiest, you know what we're known for? Complaining. <laughs> we should not be known for complaining. We should be known as the most grateful people on the planet Earth. Every day, thank God for another day. Thank you for the sun, the moon, and the stars. Thank you for the oceans and the beaches and the mountains and the fish and the birds and the beauty and oxygen for me to breathe and gravity to keep me to the ground. You couldn't list all the things God has blessed you with. You couldn't list it. And all he's saying is say thank you. You ever done something for someone and they don't say thank you? That can bother you for a little while. That can make you think about that. They don't, just, they don't say thankful. They're not very thankful. Do you want God to see you that way? Do you want God to say, I have done all, I have saved you from hell. I give you every day, every minute, every, every time you breathe, every heartbeat I've given you. Just say thanks every once in a while. Recognize where it's from. Recognize the author. Let's give thanks together. Thank you, Jesus. You're awesome. You're worthy of my life and my praise. Confess sin. Get sin out of your life. Sin is not your friend. Sin will only bring death. Don't invite it into your heart. Don't invite it into your brain. Don't invite it into your family. Avoid sin. Cast sin away. Find the detour that God has given you to get away from sin and use that detour. Because sin is going to lead you to death. And if you want to go on the way of life, you've got to confess sin and deal with it on a regular basis. What's the best way to do that? Plan to flee from sin. I tell kids, especially younger kids when they start dating, I say, look, if you don't plan, if you don't make boundaries now, you're not going to make boundaries in the middle of the, the moment. How many times have people made mistakes because they didn't make any boundaries to begin with? They didn't say, we won't go any further than this. We won't, we won't do anything outside of these boundaries. Most Christians fall into traps because they don't make specific boundaries in their life. And it opens them up to a lot of trouble. And so boundaries are healthy. But boundaries don't build themselves. You've got to think, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to be in that place alone. Or I'm not going to be in the, keep going that route. Or whatever it is. You've got to make some plans. Because sin's not going to avoid you. You've got to avoid it. And so it's intentional. And then finally, pursue good works for, the glory, for God's glory. We are not saved by good works, but we're saved unto good works. It's only by the cross that any of us can do anything good. But because of the cross, we get to do a lot that's good. Wouldn't you want your whole life to be known as the good things you did for the Lord? And really, what the good things God did with you? I mean, it's so exciting to have this testimony of all these Bibles being handed out. Who gets the glory, God? Right? Who's the one who stirred the heart of the first Gideon? Who's the one who stirred the heart of the first Baptist? Who's the one who stirred the heart of Paul to write the Corinth? Who's the Holy Spirit of God, and he should get all the glory. And so this morning, as we've gathered here to get today, what are we committed to? Who are we? 
What's leading us? How do you make decisions in life? What will you do tomorrow? What will you do when that next decision comes? Will you give God the glory through your choice or not? It's an awesome opportunity for the world to see what Christ can do with a fully committed life. And so what, what is God telling you today? You know, in this room, we're all connected to a lot of other people. You have kids, grandkids, neighbors, nieces. You realize that God called you into this earth at this time as much for them as for yourself? As much to be an influence of light to them as anything else? God isn't going to be so... Uh, he's not going to look at what achievements we get and say, wow, that was amazing. He's going to say, when I gave you the opportunity to love that person in my name, you did it. And that's what I'm happy about. That's what makes me happy. That's what gives me glory and praise. So let's commit to that. Let's make sure that we're not overlooking the real ministry God has given us. Sometimes we can get busy looking at other things and not see the people that are closest, the, the people that we see every single day, the people that we interact with the most really need us the most.